jumping on a plane to go somewhere and speak. I told the first service, you know, 8 a.m. In, in Pennsylvania, that really hurts for someone in California. 8 a.m., whenever somebody says, come preach at the 8 a.m. service, I'm like, hey, 5 a.m., oh, you know. But this is great, man. I'm on California time. This is awesome. Here, uh, just about two hours from here. So uh, excited to be here with you guys this morning. And not just this morning, but this afternoon as we're talking to parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, anybody who cares about this young generation growing up right now in a world so full of distractions. We're going to talk about uh, not just a bunch of rules we can put on our kids, but how do we open up the doors of dialogue and how do we talk about this stuff? Because um, a lot of this stuff, people are just sweeping under the table and aren't talking about, and we need to start having conversations. So um, that's what we're going to dialogue about this morning. Can we open up in a word of prayer? Let me pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your love and thank you for who you are. Lord God, uh, we just pray this morning that um, as we open up your word, that you would just um, teach us truth. God, clear away the distractions right now and help us to just focus on you and who you are. So we uh, give you this time. We pray these things in your precious name and all God's people said. It was 10 years ago. As a matter of fact, it was January of 2007 that a very important man from a very important organization stood up to make an announcement about something that would be life-changing, and his words proved to be prophetic. I'm talking about, of course, the announcement of the iPhone. This was in 2007, and as this man took the stage and talked about a smartphone, a word that people had barely heard a little bit, because at that time, it kind of looked like this screen with a bunch of little typewriter on, and it was smaller, and this and that, and all of a sudden now, there's this new invention, and some of us even remember when we saw our first iPhone. I remember this. My friend showed it to me. He goes, watch, watch. Now, watch this. Whoa, right? I want one. I don't care what it does. It turns sideways, you know? I mean, this thing was awesome. And all of a sudden, America just dived in because no longer could you just talk and text. Man, you could carry around your entire entertainment media library with you. You could Google something when your friend's telling you something that you know is not true and you want to look it up, you know, and you could, you could social media, you could do all this, all on this little device that just fits right in your pocket. And so, I mean, this was good stuff. And sure enough, just within five years, by 2012, America crosses the 50% mark for iPhone, excuse me, for smartphone ownership. Because everybody jumped on board and said, we got to get on the smartphone thing. And here we are now, 2017. And as we sit here, now teenagers, 12 through 17 years old, over 80% of them have a smartphone in their pocket at any given time. As a matter of fact, the average age where the first uh, kid first receives a smartphone is 10.3 years old. That's the average. That means a lot of kids younger than that, some older than that. And the crazy thing is, for now that we've got this device in our hands and we're growing up with it, and young people are spending all kinds of time on it, adults are spending all kinds of time on it, especially here in the church, a lot of us are kind of scratching our heads and we're kind of asking, you know, what do we do with this? 
because the whole country is trying to figure it out right now. This is new stuff for us. I mean, this is brand new, and we're starting to learn about the effects, and, and we don't even know, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? I, mean, I think it's kind of good because it's got the Bible app, but there's some other apps too. You know, I mean, I don't even know. You know, I, you know what do we do with this thing? And it's interesting because as we're trying to figure this out, I mean, it's funny because when I land in any city, the first thing I do is I get off a plane, I go, I get in a rental car, and before I even start the rental car now, the first thing I do is I look at the steering wheel. Because now, steering wheels are constantly changing with new buttons of new ways to access our smartphones so that we could not drive with a phone in our hand and kill people, you know? Because so, so, I mean, honestly, car companies are figuring out new technology. Everybody's trying to figure out new stuff because a lot of us don't really even understand the ramifications of what it means to carry this device around in our pocket. So when it comes to moms and dads today and how they're you know, deciding on what to do, whether to give it to our kids or not, I find, especially in the church, there's two extremes. Two extremes when it comes to our responses. Matter of fact, if I were to drive, divide this room right down the middle, I would say the first extreme would be the extreme that's way over in this wall here, and I call that the overly permissive parent. That's the parent that realized right away that it was just easier to just say yes. I mean, they might have learned it, you know, unless you have compassion for them because, you know, one time they told their kids, sorry, no, 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 sorry, Sean, you can't. And it's like, what? Uh, Chris's mom lets us do that? You know, and just complete blowout, just, you know, and the hard thing is Chris's mom's sitting, you know, three seats over from you right now. I mean, she goes to the church, right? Her kid does everything, you know? And so your kid's like, please, please. So finally you're just given and you're like, okay, yes. And your kid's like, great, thanks. And as a parent, you go, well, that was easy. So next time they come and ask you a question, you say, yes. They ask you another question, yes. And you're just throwing out yeses. You become the yes man. And the yes parent is kind of an easy parent. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's less resistance and stuff like that. But a lot of us, if we've gone that route, we've kind of noticed that sometimes that's not the best way to go. I mean, we've seen examples of yes parents out there who kind of allow their kids to do anything. And we've kind of seen the results of sometimes how that turned out. Matter of fact, when you ask some of those parents in candid interviews about how that went, sometimes they will even share, maybe I shouldn't have said yes so many times. Maybe I should have been the parent. Maybe I should have said, "Uh uh-uh, enough is enough. And so a lot of us, when we see that overly permissive parent, we think, no way, I'm not going to be like that, especially in the church. So what do we do? We swing the pendulum completely over to the other side, and we become the overprotective parent, right? Everybody point to the overprotective parent in this room. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. You know, there's like teenagers going, it's my mom, right? The overprotective parent is the one who absolutely says, okay, you think you got a problem with technology? I'll solve the problem. We're going to unplug everything, and we're going to move to Amish, Pennsylvania. (laughs) It's a mecca of purity. We're going to ride a buggy to church. You know, I don't think Lil Wayne has ever even heard in Amish, Pennsylvania. This is going to be great. You know, it's going to be Lil Wayne free. I mean, this is, you know, I'm sure it's going to be fine. Well, guess what? I've spoken Amish, Pennsylvania. And believe it or not, they listen to Lil Wayne there, all right? They listen to the exact same stuff. As a matter of fact, when I spoke there, I did the same thing I do when I go into most towns. And that is I go into kind of a neighborhood store. I kind of see what's going on. And sure enough, and in Amish, Pennsylvania, they have this French store called Target. And um, I went in there. And as I went and I was looking around and looking at stuff, and I thought, let me just kind of peruse the aisles and see, you know, if it is true that this is the mecca of purity and there's no outside influences. But it was funny, I looked at the magazine rack, 
And it looked like the same magazines as here in California and, and every, Texas and New York, whatever. Same articles on those magazines. And it was interesting. Then I went to the back of the store and there was music videos playing on these giant plasma screens on the back wall. And it was interesting as I just kind of looked to see what music videos were playing. Of course, there was only the purest of music being played from, you know, uh, the, the little Amish girl, Britney Spears. And, and, um, and so, so it was interesting because, you know, there, even in Lancaster County, Amish, Pennsylvania, um, they were dealing with the exact same stuff. I, I spoke in this very conservative Midnight Brethren Church. And when I spoke there, uh, there was this uh, lady that walked in and her head was covered. And a lot of the people there had their heads covered. It's a very conservative church. As I spoke, I did something I'm going to actually do in this service. I, I said, hey, let's take a peek at our culture and how do we respond to our culture. And I'd asked permission from the leaders of the church. They said, go for it. And so I put the lyrics of the number one song right there on the board, okay? And the number one song, I don't want to tell you the artist or whatever, but the opening words were, "Drunk, woke up drunk, two hoes lying next to me. And when I said that, uh, this lady with the, with the little doily on her head, whatever it was, I don't even know. She had her head covered right there. Her eyes just went, just like this, just as big as saucers, you know, as she saw those lyrics. And I thought, uh-oh, here it goes, you know? And I just kind of shared. I said, hey, here's what our culture is. Here's how we respond. And as I'm talking, she was just looking. I mean, she, she was just glued. And when I finished that talk, she got up and she walked right up to me. And I thought, oh, okay, okay, here it goes. She's going to rip into me because every once in a while happens, you'll be like, why was that up there? What? You know? And she walks right up to me and she says, thank you. And I said, really? She says, yeah. I said, okay, tell it to your face because you look really angry. <laughs> and she goes, no, I'm just, I'm just thinking about all this stuff. She goes, because my fifth graders, they hear all that stuff. And I'm like, I thought this was Lancaster County. What's going on? She goes, well, my kids go to the public school. And she says, in an art class, their art teacher says, you guys could put on your music as long as it's the clean version. And more on that in the parrot workshop, right? You know, the clean version of songs. That's like the songs at the school dances, right? The clean version, you know? That's where you hear the artist going, and then I, hut, hit, and took her to the, you know, you're like, this is music, you know? It's the clean version. And the thing is, we, a sinner, we're navigating this culture. We're trying to figure this out. And young people are used to this and all this, but it's, it's tough. And so a lot of us as parents, some of us, we react and we become that overprotective. We think, I can save my kids from all this. And we try to block it out. And it's funny because after my parent workshops, all parents come up to me and some of them sit there and go, well, my kids are safe because they're homeschooled. Well, confession, I homeschooled my girls during the middle school years. And when I homeschooled them, I learned something. I learned that you can't block everything. As a matter of fact, when a homeschool parent comes up to me, the one thing I ask him is I say, hey, I just got one question for you. Do you let your kids out of the house? Or are they just chained into the dungeon? <laughs> because when my girls were homeschooled, we let them out of the house. Uh, they were involved in sports. They had friends. And guess what music they're playing at the track meets and at the swimming pool and at gymnastics. The fact is, young people are exposed to stuff and the question really is, how are they going to respond? And are we teaching them how to respond, or are we just teaching them to plug their ears? Better yet, when they become 18 and they move out of the house and they move across the country to a college dorm, to an army barracks, have we equipped them for that day to make those decisions on their own? And this is what we need to start asking ourselves, because a lot of parents are just saying, plug your ears, baby. 
There was a little girl by the name of Katie Hudson, and Katie Hudson grew up singing in church. She loved music. She was obviously a very talented musician, and the more she sang, the more they realized this girl's possibly got a career. So she, by high school, was singing a lot. She loved music, but her parents were very ultra-conservative and very tight with what they let her do, and she wanted to watch certain TV shows, and they didn't let her watch those TV shows. She wanted to listen to certain music. They didn't let her listen to that music, so she'd sneak over to her friend's house and watch those TV shows and sneak over to her friend's house and listen to that music. Well, funny, when she finally turned 18 years old, she got out of the house, she started doing her own thing, she went the secular route, started singing secular music, changed her stage name from Katie Hudson to Katie something else, and many of you guys know the rest of that story. It's interesting when you see how that works. A lot of parents and grandparents, as we sit there and think, we think, well, Jonathan, I don't even know. I mean, on one hand, I mean, I want a relationship with my kids, but saying yes to everything doesn't make sense. And well, sure, I can't block everything. So I mean, what's this look like, especially in a world now where they're walking around with these in their pockets? And even if they don't have one of these in their pockets, their friends do. You know, what am I supposed to do, block them from all their friends? What's this actually look like? And the crazy thing is, most people out there that are surveying parents and asking about this, you're getting a lot of, it, it, it's crazy to see how little parents are doing. Matter of fact, Pew Research asked a bunch of parents and teenagers about the influence of uh, the internet and social media and this and that. And when they actually asked parents specifically um, how many parents have done the following, only 50% of parents have used parental controls on a device like this. Only 50% of parents have actually taken their kid's phone and for example, made them have to get a password to uh, add or delete an app, for example. And we're going to talk about some specifics more in the parent workshop this afternoon and some good ideas of what that can look like. Right now, your teenager's going, you're busy, mom, this afternoon. You can't go to that. You're busy. You, I need some time with you, shopping, you and me. All right? Bonding time. Don't neglect me, mom. But less than 50%, 46% of parents have actually talked with their kids about their online profile. It's crazy. I mean, think about this real quick. I wrote a book that's coming out in October here called The Teen's Guide to Social Media, and my publisher and I, as we talked about this, we're writing this directly to teens, and we also provide discussion questions at the end of each chapter for parents to try to get teens and parents actually talking about this, but the reason we chose to write directly at teens is because mom and dad is not, are not having these conversations, and it's hard because a lot of mom and dads, they feel ill-equipped. I mean, think about it. If you can't work your phone, what do you do? You get your kid, hey, come here, fix this thing. I can't get my parental password to work. And they're like, well, mom, I know it's your anniversary. Let me just punch it in for you. Here you go. Here, there you go. Brilliant, by the way, you know. And it's tough for us because we sit there and go, well, what am I supposed to do with that? And maybe we could have some of these conversations, but what does that actually look like? And a lot of us, we're looking for guidance. I mean, if we turn to Scripture and we sit there and say, okay, okay, how can Scripture guide us on that? I mean, when it comes to parenting passage, there's some good ones, and I'm gonna, we're going to end up just, just, you know, just a little peek ahead. We're going to go to Acts 17. But as you flip around, some of us, we start in the Old Testament, and, and you get like in Deuteronomy, and you think, okay, that's a good parenting passage. Now, it's interesting. This isn't just a parenting passage. This is a whole church passage, just so you know. Moses, like me right now, was standing talking to all of God's people, not just moms and dads. And as he stood there and talked to all God's people, and as he talked about, hey, remember what God did for us? Impress that on your hearts. Don't forget it. But not only that, impress this on your children. And then he gets specific. And listen how specific. It's going to make us a little uncomfortable. He says, impress this on your children. Talk about this, what God did for us, okay? Uh, his story, his laws, everything. 
Talk about it when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. He even goes on to talk about everything you do and everything you think about. And a lot of us are sitting there saying, that's a lot, Jonathan. I thought it was pretty good if I dropped off my kid at youth group once a week. I got him here on Sunday morning. That's a start. But what about this? Morning, noon, night, as you're walking along the road, as you're going to bed. And some of us, if we're being honest, you're like, Jonathan, uh uh-uh. I'm not in their life that much. Newsflash, I got a job, all right? They're gone before I go to work, and when I get home, they're still at sports. We try to get a family meal. I try to go in and chat a little bit, but none of this stuff. Who's in their life this much? I'll tell you who's in their life this much. Entertainment media. Entertainment media is in their life this much. As a matter of fact, there's people adding up the hours of how much entertainment media is in their life. And when it comes to, for example, teenagers, many surveys out there, they're all pretty close. This is probably the best and most complete survey from Common Sense Media. 12 through 17-year-olds, nine hours a day. You add up the TV, you add up the music, you add up the internet, you add up the smartphone, you add it all up. As a matter of fact, they break it down if you want. Smartphone alone for teenagers, two hours and 42 minutes a day. Two hours and 42 minutes a day. And a lot of us aren't surprised by that because, I mean, every time you look at a teenager, you see them staring at a device. Matter of fact, it's amazing that teenagers don't have bruises all over their bodies from just poof, running into things because this is how they walk around like this all the time, right? And believe it or not, this device right here, as much as you want to admit it or not, this thing is changing everything. The words of that man 10 years ago who said that he's got a world-changing invention, believe it or not, it's true. This thing is changing everything. And for those skeptics out there like, well, Jonathan, teens have always wanted to communicate and they've always had information and stuff, but let me just tell you something. Let me just give one example of how much this invention is changing the self-esteem of young people everywhere. The word selfie. The word selfie. I'll just give one example. Selfie. If I would have said the word selfie five years ago, you would have said, huh? Because it wasn't even a word. That word is less than five years old. Young people kind of knew about it because it came on the scene. They started to hear about it a little bit. For adults, they probably didn't really know about it until maybe the legendary 2014 Oscar selfie when all of a sudden, you know, selfies really came on the map and everybody had to have a selfie. And now you just turn on it. Have you seen this new selfie? Like, for example, the new Kardashian sisters selfie. <laughs> I can never tell which one's which. The, is that? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to. But the thing is, now the average millennial takes nine selfies a week, uh, spending seven minutes on average perfecting each one. That's 54 hours of selfies each year. That is 25,700 selfies in her lifetime. And this is something that's less than five years old. Less than five years old. And we now have a device in our pocket that young people are walking around where now they have to measure up and they have to look good enough for this device. Let me tell you something. It was kind of rough for me in high school. There was days where I remember thinking, this is tough, and I don't even know if I can do it. But there was a relief. At 2.37, the bell rang, and I got to go home and get away from it all. And it wasn't until 7.45, 7.40 something the next morning when I went back to school to face it all again. Guys, today when the bell rings at 2.37, young people enter a whole new world where they're mocked, where they have to measure up, where even if things are going well, there's that ever pressure to be liked. Who doesn't want to be liked? And this is the world that our kids are growing up in. 
because this device is everywhere. And it's not just this device. There's all kinds of devices of all shapes and sizes, and young people are spending all kinds of time on it. And guess what? This afternoon, I'm going to talk a little bit about how much time we as adults are spending on it as well, because when it comes to these devices, the hours add up. And a lot of us now, if we think about it, whether you're sitting here and you're a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, if you're just someone who cares about this young generation, you're sitting there saying, okay, how do we respond to a generation of young people who are growing up just saturating in all these, I mean, all this information? I mean, think about at nine hours a day what they're soaking in daily. They have access to so much. And what are they hearing for these nine hours a day? So think about this. You've got young people walking around with every voice of reason out there whispering in their ears. How do we possibly respond to a generation of young people who are absolutely immersed in secular culture? The average 12-year-old, the average 14-year-old, think about what they're digesting daily, what messages, what images they're seeing when you've got less than 50% of parents actually even have any idea of what their kids are looking at on their devices at all? How do we respond to a generation that's exposed to so many lies, so many distractions? And the thing that sometimes young people don't see, the things that sometimes we don't see, is the messages that are being fed them are the messages that they want to hear. Because the people that are selling those messages are just dropping sugar into their ears because they're saying, hey, this is what sells. I mean, honestly, I mean, think about, it's funny when you look at songs today and what they're saying. I mean, you don't hear many songs talking about be responsible, get a job, go to school. I mean, where's that one? It's not selling for sure, you know? And so you think about what young people are hearing. How do we respond to a generation growing up hearing so many distractions? Um, I encourage you to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. I'm going to use this device to open up my Bible. This is the device that woke me up this morning. This is the device that guided me here and told me which freeway to take. Uh, This is the device that helps me board planes. And this is my device that I also have my Bible app on. So here we go. Right here, um, I'm going to Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 16. We've got the Apostle Paul. And whenever the Apostle Paul wanted to reach out to a group of people, one thing he did is he always would kind of look at these people's culture and to find out a little bit about them. And that's what he did. When he arrived in Athens, he decided to peek around and kind of see what these people believed and what they were doing and what they were absorbing. So let's read together verse 16 of Acts chapter 17. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Pause right there for a second. Paul walks around, and he's walking around the city. He sees idols everywhere. Uh, Athens, it's an import-export town. So think about this. All these different ships with all kinds of foreigners coming in and out, all these different ideas, all these different gods. And before you know it, all these gods are popping up all over the city. Sound familiar? All these different philosophies. Everybody's saying, this is the way. This is the way. This. And so the, the people of Athens, they kind of like had all these different gods, and they're thinking, I mean, they all had giant coexist stickers. You know, they're just like, everything's okay, you know? And Paul walks around, and as he looks at all these gods, he's looking at these idols. He even sees this one idol that says, to an unknown god, just in case they missed one. I mean, they, they've got all these gods. And honestly, he was saddened. He was distressed. The spirit moved him, and he literally, his stomach ached as he looked and hurt for these people that were putting their faith in false gods. Paul had lived that life. 
He actually got so caught up in religion that he missed out on a relationship with God to the point that Jesus had to show up in front of Paul. And if you read chapters earlier in Acts, fantastic story where Paul is out and he's, you know, religion, religion, religion. And Jesus goes, let me talk with this guy. Jesus shows up, shines a bright light. Paul hits his knees. He's blinded. And ironically, for the first time in his life, Paul saw clearly. Blinded. He saw clearly, he's like, what have I been doing? And all of a sudden, he changed. His name changed. His message changed. He was no longer saying, do this, do that. He was now like, man, I was lost. And then I met Jesus, and now I see. And he was going around and telling other people about this, like, like one beggar showing another beggar where the food was. Come here, check this out. You could have a relationship with Jesus too. And a lot of people are like, I've never heard this before. And here he comes to the city of Athens. He, someone who knew what it was like to be lost, Someone who grew up in the church but knew what it was like to be lost. And he comes and he sees all these people putting their faith in these false things. And he was distressed with what he saw. And I don't know about you, but when I look into this window of youth culture today, I'm pretty distressed at times. Matter of fact, uh, we in our ministry, we have a ministry for youth workers and a ministry for parents. And our website for parents, the source for parents.com, we write these youth culture window articles just giving a glimpse as to what's going on in our culture and how do you respond. Because when you look into the typical American home and you just kind of see what it is that they're soaking in every day, you know, the, when you look at the shows that they frequent, um, the, the most popular shows that families watch together, or the shows that young people watch that mom and dad don't really know what it's really about. Oh, it's a cartoon. It has the word family in it. It must be clean, you know? Um, uh, the, the shows that families watch together where we get now all of a sudden a lot of these kind of role models, a lot of these idols of ours that are kind of like the, oh man, this is my favorite, you know, and, and, and over the years as we've seen many of these role models, we've kind of seen the, the effect they've had uh, as young people listen to these role models and what they have to say. And by the way, I haven't even gone out of uh, the network shows yet, but um, over 90% of American homes actually pay for television. So that, of course, means cable. And when you have cable, it means access to all kinds of other programming. But forget that. How about the programming that's right here on people's young, uh, on young people's phones that they carry around with them? Because this, whether shows they're watching, whether it's music they're listening to, um, they carry it around with them. They've got it all the time. And it's interesting to see what are they hearing when they're listening to music at a rate of two hours a day. Two hours a day for music. So, uh, you know, and, and this is, let me tell you something. I, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I, I'll, the parent workshop today, we're going to kind of look at some music and stuff. And let me tell you something. It's tough as a parent today. Because as a parent, I remember all these parents last year. Saying, the number one song last year, two songs dominated the chart. Chainsmokers, Closer, and then another song by Rihanna called Work. And I remember that this, for the whole first half of the year, the song Work was just the song. Everywhere you went, you just hear, you're pumping gas, you hear Work. You go in the grocery store, you heard Work. Everywhere you go. So parents are sitting there, they're trying, they're going, okay, okay, I'm going to be diligent. I want to find out what my kids are listening to. So maybe they even go to Google, maybe they even type in Rihanna, Work, lyrics, you know? Well, let's try that right now. Let, let, let's, let's try to look at the Work lyrics. Here we go. Let's try this. Work, 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 work.
Mom, can I listen to work? I don't freaking know. Is it bad? I have no idea. What's it talking about? Nah, nah, nah. Okay, I know. Rihanna, work, lyrics, meaning. Okay, so then we research and we find out what is this about. It is tough. It is tough, and we hear this stuff. I mean, and, and I mean, when we look at the charts, and forget a year ago, you look at the charts now. I mean, at the top of the charts, you know, you sit there and go, you know, what is this stuff? And, and young people, they can, you know, jump to YouTube, and as we know, everything is clean on YouTube. So if they want to look at the number one song, Despacito, okay, you could jump onto YouTube, and you could watch a very wholesome video that'll teach young people how to dance. Um, and... Uh, but, you know, this is tough. I mean, and so, so, I mean, let's take a quick peek. Despacito. Oh, boy. Do we have an interpretation? I thought that was just at the Assembly of God Church that I needed. But, okay, wait, here we go. Um, okay, so the English translation. Slowly, I want to breathe your neck slowly. Let me tell you things in your ears so that you remember when you're not with me. Slowly, I want to strip up. Kisses slowly. Son. Is this, wait, is this Song of Solomon or is this Despacito? I'm not sure. But it, so anyway, so it seems to be this very passionate love song. We'll, we'll leave it at that. Uh, maybe number two is not so bad. Number two, Wild Thoughts. Okay, it starts with Rihanna. Opening lyrics. Here we go. I don't know if you could take it. No, you want to see me naked, naked, naked. Ah, <laughs> uh, modern poetry. <laughs> I mean, just the, the brilliance. I mean, when I think of poets, when I think of poets, I mean, I think of Keats. I think of Shakespeare, and we got to add Rihanna to that list, man. I'm, do you want to see me naked, naked, naked? Was she rapping to a 12-year-old? I mean, two-year-old? I don't even know. That's a wild thoughts. Enough on that. Okay, let's go to number three, Unforgettable. Okay, I, I like the Nat King Cole. I mean, let's see. Here, what do we got? But you're unforgettable. I need to get you alone. Why not? Uh, good time never hurt nobody. Well, and this is the beginning. I mean... And it's funny because we start to see the philosophies unfold, and the philosophies are interesting. Uh, people are taking an honest look at the world's philosophies right now. As a matter of fact, Oxford Dictionary each year uh, comes up with the word of the year. A couple of years ago, the word was actually an emoji. Uh, a couple of years ago before that, it was actually selfie. Last year, the word of the year, they said the word that represents today's mindset, post-truth. Post-truth. Forgets what real truth is, forget the facts, what feels right at the moment. And it's funny because when you kind of look at the charts, you start to see that over and over again. Let's go down a little bit. Isn't not every song on the charts is bad. I mean, Believer's actually a pretty good one by Imagine Dragons. How about this one? I'm the one, DJ Khaled featuring Bieber, Quavo, Chance the Rapper, this. You got five guys and DJ all singing, I'm the one. I'm the one. There's five guys singing. I don't know. I don't know. But they're the one. And you got Chance there. And it's funny. And tonight, we're going to get a little, you know, take a little closer look. And we're going to do this because now it's a little more confusing for the young Christian kid growing up. I like Chance. Seems like a neat guy. Um, claims to be a Christian. Actually talks about giving his life to Christ and what Christ is doing in his life. Um, I'm going to show you some of the lyrics tonight. And it's a really difficult one. And the hard thing is we've got kids coming up to us and going, Mom, Chance the Rapper, he's a Christian, you know. But he's saying this. And what, you know. And it's tough. How do you navigate those conversations? 
I mean, we could go down uh, the list. I mean, there's all kinds. Of, we've been seeing a lot of, you know, one kind of, you know, uh, you know genre and music. But here's Shape of You by Ed Sheeran. That was at the top for a long time. Um, very talented guy. Really good sounding stuff. Opening lyrics. The club isn't the best place to find a lover, so the bar is where I go. Me and my friends at the table doing shots, drinking fast, and then we talk slow. We'll dive in more this afternoon but it's interesting when you look at what young people are soaking in. And of course, for the young people sitting here next to mom and dad, they're like, well, mom, I, I don't listen to the lyrics at all. Um, I do school assemblies. And when I speak to school assemblies, sometimes I'll, I'll put on popular songs. I'll put on, hey, what about this one? I'll throw it on there. And when you throw on music, people just start doing lyrics along with it. And then I'll stop the music. And as soon as I stop the music, guess what happens? They keep, yeah, they, they, they just keep going with those lyrics that they don't know. Um, the thing is, the common parental response when we kind of glimpse into the world of youth culture, when we actually take youth culture and go and slap it on the screen and look at what young people are watching, what they're listening to, what we as families are watching and stuff, very often the common response from parents is overreaction. And I know it well because I had that reaction. It's tough. As a parent, sometimes you're like the Apostle Paul and that you get distressed, but sometimes all of a sudden we lose control and sometimes we probably look more like this guy. I don't know if you caught this guy on social media, but this is a guy who caught his uh, stepdaughter talking bad stuff about mom on these posts that she made. So he didn't appreciate that. So while she was away at school, he, being in IT himself, he hacks into her laptop and he posted a little video of his own. Watch this. Ridiculous. Not happening. Disrespectful to me, your mother, your stepmother your family, your friends, and yourself. So I'm, I'm going to put a stop to it, and I'm going to put a stop to it right now. That right there is your laptop. You see it's out here on the ground. This right here is my 45. <laughs> okay, who is that redneck dad in this church? I want to know. <laughs> Everybody point to him. Yeah, that field right there looked a lot like a field I passed on the way here. Was that a Tracy accent I heard? I'm not sure. Yeah. No, a lot of us kind of relate to that overreaction thing. We've been there. As a matter of fact, some dads are like, no, 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 you got to use a shotgun. You get your friend to throw it up, you say pull, and then yeah, 45. Yeah, it's tough for us as parents. A lot of us, we sit there and we think, man, we, I just don't even know what to do. And we overreact, and what we don't realize, or maybe we realize after the fact, is that when we overreact, there's a common teenage response to our overreaction. Because all of a sudden, when we flip out, they're like, don't talk to dad. He always flips out. So if we flip out, all of a sudden that trust is broken. It's like, how come my kid won't talk with me? Well, possibly because, I mean, think about it. You know, like, hey, how was last night? You know, oh, I was so-and-so. Wait, what time did you get in? Wait, were you late? I told you to be boy. Were you with that boy, Chris? Oh, I knew. You're so, you know, and then they're like, well, my kid won't talk with me. Well, of course not. You're a parole officer. I mean, this is all of a sudden, you know, why would they? This is tough for us, and we don't want to be that, letting our kids do whatever they want, but at the same time, freaking out isn't doing anything, so how do we respond? Well, don't forget, you don't have to listen to me. Let's look what Paul did, because Paul was speaking to a group of people who were just saturating in secular culture, 
And as he talked to them, let's see how he responds. Because so far, we see that he saw all these idols and he was distressed. So maybe he's going to start tipping over idols and he's going to start, you know, yelling at them. Let's find out. Here we go. Verse 16, he was distressed to see the city was full of idols. Verse 17, so he reasoned in the synagogue with both the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. And as a matter of fact, keep reading, blah, blah, blah. I started talking with the Epicureans. He starts... Wait a second. So it's, I'm looking, and all, he's just, he's dialoguing with them. Wait, he doesn't freak out. He doesn't start yelling. He doesn't tip over idols. He doesn't weave a whip. Well, Jesus, we, oh, that was in the church with the religious people that were ripping people off in worship. That's, but it's, here he encounters people that are, and he starts dialoguing with them. As a matter of fact, if you look, you can actually look and see some of his dialogue because he stands up and he talks to people of Athens, and we have a record of what he actually said. As a matter of fact, it's one of the most famous messages in the Bible. He stands up to them, and he basically says this. We don't have time to read the whole thing, but he basically stands up and he says, people of Athens, wow, you guys are religious. I mean, you guys are so religious. I saw all your idols. You had to this God, this God. As a matter of fact, you even had an idol to an unknown God. Guess what? That God that you've been worshiping, I know who he is. Let me tell you about him. He's not made of gold or iron or steel, but he is the real God who created you and me. And he starts telling him about the true living God. He doesn't freak out. He doesn't overreact. He doesn't start slamming them for idolatry. He actually uses one of their idols as a springboard to talk about truth. Think about what that looks like in your world in your home. He actually, as a matter of fact, if you read, he look at verse 28, he actually quotes the poets of the days. Look at quote marks, verse 28, for in him we live and move and have his being, end quotes. And he says, as some of your own poets have said, look again, quotes, we are his offspring, end quotes. You know who he quoted right there? Little Wayne, right there, yeah. Well, whoever Little Wayne was 2,000 years ago, Little Antonius, he quoted him right there. Lady Gaga lyrics, boom, right there, quoted in the Bible. Because he said, I heard your poet say this, interesting. You know, it's funny, on the Source for Parents and the Source for Youth Ministry, we do that all the time. That song, I'm the One, we have a music discussion starter where we talk about that and we use that to point to Scripture. Are we having those conversations? You see, maybe the appropriate response is turning our overreaction into interaction. Maybe instead of overreacting if we look for opportunities to interact. A few years ago, I wrote a book that stirred up some, uh, I wouldn't say controversy, but it stirred up some Christians were kind of like, what? What is this? The book was this one, The Zombie Apocalypse Survival Guide for Teenagers. Um, and some Christians are like, zombies? What? Aren't they evil? You know what that book is? The book's a fictional story of three teenagers living in a surviving in a post-apocalyptic world, and in every situation they get into, they don't have mom or dad standing over their shoulder telling them what to do. So out there on their own, in every situation, they're deciding what is right. And they're having to discover where are their values, where do they come from, and they actually crack open a Bible. And there's discussion as to, well, how do we know what's right? And they start figuring it out. You know what the book is? It's four pages of story and then discussion questions in scripture. Four pages of story, discussion questions. It's our daily bread for teenagers. That's all it is. We need to start looking for opportunities to talk with young people about truth 
in a world so full of lies. The crazy thing is, our young people are going to be exposed to stuff. Some of us, in, in this year alone, we're going to go home and we're going to see our kids watching, listening to something inappropriate. How do you respond when that happens? Maybe the uh, overly permissive parent would be like, oh, that's fine, watch whatever you want. And that doesn't seem to work. Uh, and then there's that overprotective parent who goes, fine, let's unplug it and go to Amish Pennsylvania. Wait, that doesn't work either. So what do you do? Overreacting doesn't work. Any of us who've been there, we know it doesn't work. So how can we turn our overreaction into interaction? Think about that. You walk home and one of your kids is maybe looking at some imagery that's like so much imagery in this world, it's, it's sexual imagery. You know, the crazy thing is God is the creator and designer of sex, this amazing gift for a man and a woman in marriage. As a matter of fact, the Bible doesn't even hesitate to talk about it. The Bible starts with a story of a naked guy in a garden, and he's standing there, and God looks down at him and says, hey, it's not good for you to be alone. Poof, naked woman. And Adam's like, hey, that's the beginning of the Bible. And it gets a little bit better. God goes, uh, go forth and multiply, or in modern-day version, you can do it, you know. And Adam's like, you didn't even need to command me on that one. I was already on it. You know, I mean, that's how the Bible starts. But for some reason, we don't talk about it as parents. My wife was, was, was asking me, she goes, Jonathan, I don't understand this. She was at my book table once when I was speaking at a church in a very conservative town. I won't tell you where it was, <coughs> Texas. And um, as we were there, uh, she was working this book table, and the parents are coming up, and they're buying this book on this, and book on this, book on this, and there's this book on how to talk with your kids about sex. And parents would skip that when they oh, we had that talk with our kids two summers ago. And she goes, they're buying everything on the table, but they won't buy the book about talking with your kids. Uh, Dr. Kevin Lehman, when he read my book, he goes, in a world of explicit lies, parents need to have a conversation about the explicit truth. And a lot of these parents are like, oh, I don't think my 16-year-old is ready for that yet, you know? <laughs> I'm like, your kid's hearing 17 sex talks a day, you know? but from Drake and Rihanna, you know? And, and, and guess what they're preaching, you know? We need to be preaching truth. And the crazy thing, and I'm gonna talk about this this afternoon, and we're gonna give some specifics on it, is sometimes as parents, we're so worried about blocking out the lies that we're not sharing truth. We're so worried about blocking the lies, we're, we're, we're losing out on opportunities to interact about the truth. And I tell parents all the time, if your kid is looking at something they shouldn't be looking at, open up Proverbs 5, not in lecture mode, but in discussion mode, and say, hey, let's look at this together, and look at a biblical conversation about sex, because Proverbs 5, starting verse 16, starts talking about how amazing sex is. I mean, look, it's explicit. It's like good, like teenage boys are like, this is my favorite verse. I love this. This is good. It's good stuff. But keep reading, teenage boys, because it talks about why would you look at other women when you could just be looking at the wife you married as a young man and being true to her, that's the way God planned it. But a lot of kids haven't even heard that passage because it has the word breasts in it. And parents are afraid that their kids are going to start thinking about it. Not when they're walking through the malls, you know, looking at Victoria's Secret posters. Get them in the word. Look for opportunities to interact with your kids. How do we respond? Apostle Paul gives a good example of not freaking out, but opening up the doors of dialogue. And let me tell you, think about what that looks like in your workplace. Think about what that looks like with your neighbor. 
that's obviously not living a Christian lifestyle? What's this look like with our family, with our kids? How do we open up these discussions? We'll talk a lot more about this this afternoon. I hope you guys come back. We're going to dive a little bit more. We're going to spend the first half of the workshop looking at this world of culture, and I'm going to be showing you kind of more of an unveiled version of what's really out there, and then how do we respond? And I know right now there's some teenagers nudging mom and saying, no, you can't be there. You can't be there. And then you for sure got to be there, all right? Four to six o'clock. Let me close in prayer. Lord God, I thank you for your love. Um, I thank you for who you are. This is, uh, this is distressing. I know why the Apostle Paul was distressed. Because when we look at the idols of the day, we are distressed, God. And honestly, a lot of us, we have grown very comfortable with some idols in our lives that don't belong there. God, in a world full of distractions, help us to learn to focus on truth. It's a funny prayer to even pray, Lord God. Help us to not be drawn to lies that we want to hear. But God, help us to hear truth. Um, this is way bigger than us, God. We can't do it on our own. So we rely on you. Uh, speak to us, Lord God. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Thanks, you guys. I'll see you this afternoon. Thanks, sir.